I'm the director for political security affairs and the Richard Holbrook Fellow here at the Asia Society Policy Institute. And this is another episode of Asia Inside Out. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that's near and dear to my heart. It's how we can bring greater diversity to policy debates here in DC. And specifically today, the thing that I wanted to talk a bit about is how can we better elevate women's voices on current events related to Asia and policy issues in Asia. And I'm thrilled today to have two folks with me who've worked a lot on these issues. Uh, Anna Fifield, who is the Beijing bureau chief for the Washington Post, and Laura Rosenberger, who's the director for the Alliance for Securing Democracy at the German Marshall Fund. So guys, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us, Lindsay. Yeah, thanks, Lindsay. So let me start first with, I guess, a really simple question for both of you, uh, which is, after a year or two of the Me Too movement, uh, historic amounts of women being elected to the US Congress, and a whole lot of conversation about how you bring more women uh, to expert debates and discussions, it's still really, really hard. And I would just even point out as a reference point, I was actually on the Hill testifying yesterday, and I think I was the only woman in a full day uh, of hearings. So it's it's still a major issue that oftentimes representation of women doesn't actually match the amount of women experts that are out there. So for you guys, um, why is it still so hard? And I guess also it suggests to me that there is um, maybe a lack of consciousness or still a degree of skepticism that prioritizing this issue is really important. So for the skeptics out there, why does it matter? Laura, do you want to start? Sure. So I think, you know, you um, you just cited in your comments the issue of sort of consciousness about this. And I think where I would start is by saying that I think the biggest gap in why we still have such a challenge is just the question of mindfulness. I think, you know, it should be obvious for any number of reasons when people are putting together events, panels, um, you know, witnesses for hearings, experts for articles that, you know, typically you want a diversity of, of viewpoints, a diversity of perspectives and a diversity of, of representation. And that comes across all kinds of dimensions, but obviously gender is, is one of them. Um, and I think that, you know, on the, in the, in the field of, you know, Asian studies and, and U.S. Asian affairs, we have a lot of really fabulous women and, um, you know, I think that there is a, a real resource base out there that can be tapped when people are mindful of bringing those voices in and are mindful of when they're putting together an event to look at the lineup and see if they're, you know, all men and, and course correct on that. Um, I think it's also, you know, people kind of default back to their own networks, their own groups, their own circles. And historically... Um, you know, this area has been a little bit more male dominated. And I think it's really incumbent upon, um, you know, some of those men um, or others who are putting together, you know, events to always make sure that they're not just bringing in, you know, their group of friends. However, uh, however much fun that may be for all of us, um, I think that that's really important to remember um, that, you know, it's it's really important to branch out and expand the circle. And my my last point on on the sort of why this matters is, you know, I think at a time in the United States, sort of speaking from the U.S. perspective here, 
where there are, you know, real questions about U.S. global leadership and U.S. role in the Asia-Pacific, particularly against the background of a, of a rising and increasingly assertive China in the region, it's more important than ever for us to be bringing in new voices and cultivating new talent um, and expertise and leadership for the future around the set of issues. And so we should be absolutely casting the broadest net possible um, and cultivating that talent so we can ensure really sustained U.S. leadership in the Asia Pacific into the future. That's a great point. Yeah, and I would just agree with everything that Laura has said there. And I mean, when I go to panels and see, uh, you know, all, all male panels up there, I can see a lot, especially in Asia, that the organisers have gone to made some effort to make sure that it's not all, you know, uh, white people talking about Asia or all uh, Chinese people talking about China. Like they go for a diversity of ethnic backgrounds, but they don't seem to consider having a diversity amongst genders up there. And I mean, the simple reason, you know, why we should have a diversity up there is because we are half the population. Uh, we have a voice. We have something to say. Like it shouldn't be so hard to um, to, to find this and like to Laura's point it's just a matter of being conscious about it it is not hard to find women experts like very well qualified articulate uh, experts who just happen to be women you just have to be conscious of it and in my reporting I am conscious of it and try to make sure that I have a range of voices uh, whether they be you know kind of uh, nationality or ethnic backgrounds gender I also look at uh, age as a factor I think about and there has been some interesting discuss discussion on that recently and um, Doug Pohl wrote a very interesting piece for uh, Carnegie about his generation and how they approach China and then there was something really fascinating I heard that um, Abigail Grace who used to be on the NSC talked about on a podcast with Paul Henley that she did in Beijing and she said about how for her generation of China watchers they think that um, you know China can do anything pretty much because her first memory of China was watching the Beijing Olympics and seeing what China can do I mean first of all that observation made me feel really old <laughs> but second it just shows that people with different backgrounds and different experiences do bring different ideas to the table so I think uh, you know diversity across the board it just leads to a more robust and interesting discussion yeah absolutely Anna you've been the pointy tip of the spear a bit in pushing uh, this conversation a lot of times um, particularly uh, on on Asia issues and um, you know you did you did a great article um, where you wrote uh, about the US decision to pull out of um, the JCPOA with Iran um, and, you know, sort of without much fanfare, actually did a piece that entirely quoted female experts. And I loved that the point that you made afterwards was, I didn't set about trying to do this. Um, I just reached out and this happened to happen. But it proves the point that one, it's not that difficult. And two, this notion that, well, women won't sort of speak up or advocate for themselves or look to be included is not true. And I, and I love those two points that you made. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, with this JCPOA story, like, it wasn't that I was deliberately looking to quote all women, you know, I thought, who are the people who know about this, you know, and it doesn't take much to arrive at Wendy Sherman, and like Suzanne DiMaggio, who've both dealt with Iran and North Korea, and, you know, are supremely qualified to talk about these kinds of issues. So, 
Um, it, it wasn't, I didn't set out to make it an all-female article, but I was also happy that it turned out that way, just to make the point that we don't comment, or uh, and historically people have not even blinked an eyelid when it's an all-male article. Uh, and, you know, likewise, you know, maybe I went a little overboard, but it shouldn't be a big deal if it just happens that it's all uh, women in that, you know, kind of story, that women can, um, you know, talk about these things often better, you know, just as well as men. So, Anna, one of the great things that you've done um, that I love so much and I hear people talk about all the time um, is what people sometimes call Anna's List, which is basically a list of now uh, almost 200 names of female experts uh, on Japan and on South Korea. So I wanted to ask you a bit about, one, where did you get the idea to do this? And Two, what kind of responses have you seen, um, both good or bad? That's very kind that people say Anna's List, but really it was a collaborative effort and a lot of people uh, recruited names, people for this list and also inputted their own details. Um, but it, it had started with me and two of my friends talking about how um, fed up we were with going to all male panels all the time and how we needed to create some kind of resource uh, to pull together names uh, and make it easier for conference organizers and journalists to be able to uh, to find women subject experts here. And so we were thinking that it had to be something quite fancy. Uh, and then I saw that there was a China list of uh, female experts that was just a simple Google spreadsheet uh, open for everybody to enter their details into. So I just modeled this list on, on that one. Uh, and then started putting the word out to other journalists I know and experts I know, and everybody just started yeah, crowdsourcing to build this list. And, you know, for all of the conference organizers who told me they couldn't find any women, you know, we managed to find 100 women in the first week. Uh, and now, as you say, it's got up to close to 200 women. Um, so it wasn't that difficult. It just took uh, being conscious about it and making an effort. And the reaction has been overwhelmingly positive, um, especially from other journalists who are looking for more diversity in the people they have on to talk about uh, issues relating to the Koreas in Japan. And a number of journalists have thanked me for you know, starting this initiative. Um, but also, I have been quite proactive in, in sending the list to conference organizers who I know to have been the worst offenders. Uh, and we have seen some improvement there, especially in DC, uh, not so much on uh, the Korean or Japanese side of things, but um, still hopefully in the right direction. I will say actually from personal experience, after that list came out in, I think the two weeks after it came out, I had... Uh, a handful of people who had never ever contacted me before mm -hmm. reach out um, and say, oh, I happen to see your name mm -hmm. on Anna's list. Right. So mm -hmm. um, from personal experience as well, uh, I think it's made a difference. Mm -hmm. um, and even in handing people something that perhaps um, they could or should already be able to find on their own, but making it very easy by putting it all in one place. Um, I think sort of um, there's no excuse uh, to not be able to find those names. Right. I mean, often I hear the excuse of like, oh, I asked a woman and she wasn't available. It's not like there's only <laughs> one woman on each subject. Yeah, it's just about making an effort. So following up on this question, obviously the um, manal 
conversation or all male uh, conference panels has been out there for a long time. Uh, but Laura, I wanted to ask you, so beyond uh, conference panels, I mean, there are questions of where else does representation matter uh, in experts who are cited in stories, um, in the people, uh, you know, I guess that you see on the news or testifying on Capitol Hill. Uh, what are some of the other places where you think actually we really ought to be pushing to make more progress in getting a more diverse set of viewpoints heard? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we have, as you noted, done a, a, made some good progress in at least making the fact of a mantle a thing, right? I think people sort of <laughs> know at this point what a mantle is and that it's largely something to avoid or, or should believe it's something to avoid. Alex Bell coined, I think it was Alex who coined this great term, the marticle, um, the all-male article um, of experts, you know, in an article all being men that were quoted. And um, I won't name names here, but there's um, a number of journalists who I consider to be worst defenders on this. Um, so I, I privately train my fire on them uh, when they when they sort of... Um, <laughs> fail to consult with any uh, female experts in the course of their reporting. Um, and my, my own sort of latest target, which you alluded to, um, is what I'm now dubbing the mirroring, the all-male hearing. <laughs> um, and, and in particular, I think this is really problematic when you have you know, um, sort of outside expert witnesses. I mean, if you're calling sort of, you know, administrative, administration, you know, representatives who are in certain positions in government, you're sort of left with who's in those jobs, right? right. Um, but of course, then that speaks to the fact of needing to have diversity of people in those jobs. So we have, right, not just right. men. Um, but certainly when it comes to, you know, expert witness panels, which Congress does a whole bunch of these, um, you know, there's no reason um, that we shouldn't be having, again, a diversity of viewpoints. And I think that, again, going back to the, the same point from earlier, that means many different things. It means um, different perspectives. Uh, it means coming from different institutions, probably different partisan perspectives, and, and also, you know, um, ethnic, you know, race, sort of gender dimensions as well. And, um, you know, my own view is as a, you know, somebody who has sat in a number of policymaking positions um, and, you know, in positions where I was coordinating the policymaking process, especially, you know, at the deputies committee, um, that a, a diverse conversation leads to the best policy outcomes, right? If you have different perspectives providing inputs, um, you're going to be able to think through a lot of these challenging issues better. And so um, I would think that that Congress would want to be having, again, um, diverse, diverse uh, witnesses before them. Um, Anna, one thing here that I'm, I'm kind of interested in, and, you know, it's, it's related, Laura, to what you were just saying. Um, when you think about, for example, um, say, in government, you know, you you call who is there in the jobs. Um, we've certainly made, I think, some progress on this in the United States, but I'm curious from your perspective, having been over in Asia for a while, I mean, one of the challenges here is if you don't have as many women um, in these senior positions, um, does it make it harder to both get women's voices out there and have folks at higher levels who are advocating 
for greater diversity of um, expertise and viewpoints. Um, in the last year, in a lot of countries in Asia, you know, the sort of a very nascent uh, conversation around women's representation and their voices has sprung up in a lot of countries. But I think it, it is more of a challenge, particularly um, in certain places, uh, than it is here sometimes in the United States. So could you talk a bit about um, what you've seen um, from your perspective now in Beijing or um, before over in Tokyo? Yeah, I mean, I hate to harp on about poor old South Korea, but that's the one where I've seen it the most and just going to regularly to panels that are nine men, literally nine men on a stage. And I remember one that um, it drove me really crazy. It was at this Jeju forum. There were It was a diplomatic panel and there were eight men up there, eight ambassadors. And I went and found out that there were sev uh, seven women ambassadors posted to Korea and two of them were actually at the conference and had not been invited to participate on this panel. So it's that kind of thing where it's just this lack of consciousness that people just need to realize, uh, you know, to represent this diversity of views. But the reason I think this is important is for these, you know, when I go look at young Korean women in the audience listening, they do not see themselves represented on the stage. They, they, you know, even if there are women up there, it's very unusual to have a Korean woman on the stage. So it's this lack of role models and a lack of a sense that their voice deserves to be heard and they could one day see themselves up there on the stage. So I've noticed that in panels that I'm moderating, if I see a lot of young women, like often there's students and things in the audience, and when I open it up for questions, they don't often even ask questions, I think, because they are nervous or for whatever reason. Um, and I almost want to call on them and, and encourage them, but I also don't want to put them on the spot, obviously. But sometimes young, like when I say young, I mean like 20-something Korean, Korean women who are starting out on their careers will come up um, to me afterwards and thank me for being there and just to say it's so good to see a woman up there and things because it is still scarily uncommon uh, in South Korea. But I think, yeah, for this point of progression, they need to have a sense that they will be able to rise up the ranks of their systems and, um, yeah, take a place on the stage. So speaking of sort of, you know, next generation and, and how you help that um, younger generation of women, whether it's in Asia or here, really see themselves um, as experts who have perspectives that are valuable on these issues as well. Um, I wanted to ask you guys a bit about sort of the role that mentorship has played in your own life or as you think about things um, like uh, mentoring, hiring that help bring more of these people um, to the conversation and push them out there in the front that can be done. Um, I'll say from my own personal experience, one, it's been valuable to have mentors who are not just women, and I've had some great female mentors, but frankly, I've had great male mentors as well who, uh, whether this is right or wrong, at times have, um, you know, advocated for me and I think in a way um, have been more heard um, then at times maybe having uh, a woman give the same uh, recommendation um, would have been, unfortunately. Um, and then the second, uh, you know, one of actually the most interesting experiences for me in my first year in D.C. when I was brand new, um, and I'll just give her a shout out by name, but I went to a dinner uh, at an embassy in town, and uh, there were about 
it was a huge table. There were maybe like 40 people around the table. Um, and at the time, I was, I think, like a very, very junior research assistant. And I give credit to my organization for, one, allowing me to sit at the table um, because a lot of folks wouldn't have. And either I wouldn't have been there or I would have been backbenching. Um, but secondly, uh, everyone at the whole table had to go around and introduce themselves, uh, which was a painful experience in itself. But um, I noticed there were two women at this entire table, and one was me, the young research assistant, and the other was Wendy Sherman, who was sitting like smack in the middle of this table. You know, I was far on the end. Uh, so we all went around, and uh, when it came to her, she introduced herself. She needed no introduction. Uh, but she said very explicitly after she introduced herself, it is such a pleasure to be here with all of you gentlemen and Lindsay tonight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I loved uh, that she made the point, which I think nobody had even thought about at that point, about who's at this table. Um, and so, you know, the fact that one, an organization put me at the table, and two, somebody else in a senior position like pointed out that it mattered for us to be there um, was really important. It's a small thing, but there are a lot of um, additional steps, I think, that people can take like that that are simple and small, but they really make a difference, and especially for younger people, um, you know, can send the message that you belong and you deserve to be here. So I'm curious from you guys, I guess, just a little bit of a reflection on uh, some experiences like that where mentorship has played a role for you and what kinds of steps you try to think about um, in opening the same opportunities for young women who might be coming up now? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I actually want to piggyback off one of the points that, that you made, actually, which is about having um, amazing female mentors. And I'll come back to that in a second. Um, but also having some amazing male mentors who serve as champions. Um, and, and this is, I want to expand on this point because I think that, you know, sometimes the question of sort of women's representation in these conversations becomes seen as a, as a women's issue and the burden is put on us. And, yeah, and inherently only, like anti-men. Right. And not only do I think that's not fair, um, <laughs> because it's not, um, <laughs> but I also think that, yes, yeah, some of the greatest voices and advocates for change in this area are men. I mean, um, I know several men who now, if they get invited to be on a panel, you know, they ask who else is going to be on it. And if it's all men, they say they won't participate unless there is, um, you know, balanced representation. Um, and, you know, I think, and, and I know, you know, of several instances where that has actually forced change or in some instances where the, where these men have taken it upon themselves to then go out and find a highly qualified female expert to join the lineup. Um, and so I think that it's really incredibly important that our, um, male colleagues, um, you know, are serving as allies, um, in, in this entire conversation. Um, and I think there are really a number who, who are and deserve real credit for that. Um, and then I think, you know, on the, on the other question of, of sort of fabulous female mentors, I mean, I will single one out, um, who is Kathy Stevens, um, who, of course, um, uh, among her uh, many positions was um, the first U.S. Uh, female U.S. ambassador to South Korea. Um, but also, uh, when I started working with her, she was the principal deputy assistant secretary of state um, in the East Asia Bureau. Um, 
where I believe at the time all of her fellow sort of in, uh, incumbents in the front office were men. Um, I was a junior officer at the time, and Kathy, as well as Chris Hill, who was assistant secretary at the time, you know, really made sure that I was in the room. Um, and and the reason that it was important for me at that point in time to be in the room was not that I had so much value to add directly, but that seeing how those conversations happen, right, the high-level policy conversations, the back-and-forth debates, um, that deliberative process was so informative for me at that early stage in my career to understand how to be effective as I learned more, as I grew. Um, and so, you know, I, I really um, feel like I owe a, a great amount to folks like Kathy um, for for doing that. And then the last point I would just make is, you know, I think how important it is for many of us who feel like we're part of um, the sisterhood who supports <laughs> one another um, and can serve as sounding boards for challenges, um, echo chambers for one another where we really need to kind of lift each other up um, or, or help kind of facilitate um, real meaningful conversation. And so I also think that that's um, an incredibly important piece of this. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, right. Um, and just to pick up on what Laura said, first of all, I think absolutely this is an issue where we need men to be as our, you know, enlightened men to be our allies and to push this issue too, because this is not just uh, an issue for for women to fight. And a bunch of men that I know have really taken a stand on this. And I'll give a shout out to Frank Januzzi from the Mansfield Foundation, who's been very strong on this. Um, also, David Rothkoff, who is a personal mentor of mine and has been very encouraging to me throughout my career. So just for them to insist on women being there uh, really makes a big difference. Um, because, you know, I think there's often a tendency to write off people like me who make these points as, you know, some shrill extreme feminist uh of some flavor you know but we which I don't deny I am uh, but you know that um that you know it makes them too easy for them to dismiss it if it's only women who are raising this so I'm really grateful to the men who also bring this up who refuse to appear on panels or you know sometimes if it's uh, something where they it's difficult to refuse they make the point on the stage that it's uh, you know that there are no women there and can bring this issue to attention so I think this is a you know something we need to work on together um, but yeah I too have benefited a lot from mentors both male and female over the course of my career uh, you know which is still ongoing I still need help with it but um, I have attempted to pay that forward particularly for young women in Asia who I think don't see so many role models around and I know from my own experience I was in my 20s when I arrived in Korea as a young reporter um, and how easy it was for men Men to dismiss me as you know this there was even a newspaper headline about the young girl reporter uh, when somebody objected to a story I wrote and I had you know I worked for an international newspaper the Financial Times I had a position um, and it was easy for them to dismiss me so I see how it is for young Korean or Asian women coming up through the same system whether it's journalism or um, academia think tanks government this kind of stuff so I try to deliberately say to the young women I encounter, like, you have important things to say and you have a, a place here, you know, and just to encourage them to speak up and to know that their voice is valuable. So um, 
yeah, I hope that that makes a difference. And because it can be extremely intimidating if you're starting out on your career and everybody around you is, is men who love the sounds of their own voices. Yeah, and just I think having people who are even one step ahead of you saying that you belong to be here mm -hmm. and um, that you have something valuable to add to the conversation you know, gives a lot of confidence and that's important and it, it was for me. Right, even something as simple like you say is making sure you're sitting at the table. Just like, right. you don't have to sit in the background, come sit at the table. Yeah, and, and Laura, I love the point that you made too about just having people who made sure that you were in the room, right? So that you actually get the same opportunities, you're able to learn in the same way. It makes such a difference. Mm -hmm. um, actually, one thing that, um, so one thing that I started doing um, sometimes, and it's not specific uh, to women, it, it's more for younger staff, but you know, it's such a little thing, um, is when we have um, round tables or discussions like that, and a lot of times, you know, the, the younger staff, the research assistants, the interns, whatever, they're in the room, but they're always sitting in the back bench, right? So I started doing something where I was like, okay, you guys, um, think of questions in advance that you might want to ask in this conversation. And then when we get to the end, um, you know, give them a chance to stand up and ask a question. And the first time that I did it, I was so amazed that the reaction uh, from people afterwards in the room was like, wow, wasn't that so like novel? And then secondly, wow, they actually had good questions. Um, <laughs> And, you know, I just think being intentional about things like that um, is important both for their own development um, and because it reminds people who are at the table sometimes that, yeah, actually, these people do have good questions and do have good perspectives to add. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, guys, thanks so much for this conversation today. I've enjoyed it a lot. There's obviously... Um, I think a lot more work to be done, uh, but it makes me feel encouraged uh, that there is such a good group of folks, both women and men, um, who are really advocating for the importance um, of having a more diverse set of voices represented in um, journalism, in policy debates, um, and hopefully we'll all continue to be working on this a lot in the days and years ahead. So um, thanks for coming. Thanks, Thank Lindsay, you, Lindsay, for doing this. This is Asia Inside Out, so thanks so much. <laughs>